Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Simon Speaks podcast. I am thrilled today to welcome a wonderful speaker and presenter and pitch and presentation specialist. It's Mel Sherwood, who is a native Australian, but now calls Edinburgh home and has done since, I believe, 2006. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, And she works with a number of professionals on pitch and presentation skills, being more credible, more confident. And she's also the creator of Being More Red and the Red Effect, which we're going to look at very shortly. But she combines her experience of being an actor and singer and presenter right through now to having over 20 years experience in business. And I'm fascinated to hear all of the things she's got to share with us. So Mel, the warmest of welcomes. And please give us a bit of your, your background and introduce yourself to the audience, if you would. Thank you. Well, that was a great introduction. So thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. What would you like to know about my background? Uh, I, I did I did work as a, as a performer in Australia, uh, grew up in Australia, in Melbourne, and had, you know, kind of what I would consider a normal suburban life <laughs> and always wanted to do something a little bit different. So performing kind of was a uh, a way forward for me. I always, always felt really comfortable on the stage, uh, although not singing, interestingly enough. So, and I don't know if you know about my singing story, do you? I listened to your interview with Amy Rowlinson not too long ago. So I've got a little bit of that background, which I found uh-huh. diff- difficult to believe considering how outgoing and, and vibrant you always are. <laughs> so what happened with singing? So when I was young, I loved kind of performing and I, I would you know, run around the house and play dress ups and pretend I was actually when I was quite young, I I used to want to be a a majorette, like a marching girl. I don't even know how I even discovered that as a thing. But I used to have a toy uh, carpet sweeper thing that I would unscrew the the handle and I'd spin the handle around and and march up and down the hallway at, at home. And yeah, right. And then when I was about six, I I joined what is called Australian Calisthenics, which is a really, it, um, I don't know if it's for boys now as well, but at the time it was girls, it was kind of uh, dancing, singing, baton twirling, like club swinging and rods and uh, aesthetic exercises, which was a bit more like ballet. There was a bit of gymnastics type things. And I loved it. I loved that variety. And I think that really was a fantastic grounding for me in terms of performing and discipline and, uh, you know, working together to um, put on a show essentially. And I loved that. And I had, you know, always enjoyed the singing part, but never thought I was a good singer. And part of that stemmed from what I thought was something that happened to me when I was about eight. And I was pretending to be an opera singer and wandering around the house going, oh, and they and, and somebody said to me, look, put their hands up to my, their ears and went, ah, ah, you're hurting my ears. And he laughed at me and he said, you'll never be a singer. 
and as an eight-year-old I just kind of took that on and was became completely paranoid about my voice so I didn't actually sing in public as you know solo in public until I was probably 23 I think and even that was with so much fear and paranoia uh, it just it was so weird I had singing lessons when I was a teenager because I wanted to be an actor I decided that I wanted to perform and I figured I needed to be able to sing in order to make myself more versatile so I had had some singing lessons but I found that I wasn't practicing because I didn't want anyone to hear me and so it didn't really improve very much and it wasn't and I got quite hung up on being perfect so I got hung up on the notes on the page it wasn't until much later when I actually joined a band and I started learning songs from the original recordings and forgot about the notes on the page that I was able to sing a bit more. But in between, you know, that and when I joined that band, there were some interesting and awful experiences where like literal shaking, crying, could not go on stage type things. And I think that's why I can really relate to some of my clients who come to me with a fear of public speaking because I've had that. I've had that absolute crippling fear and, you know, awful experiences where I allowed my new nerves to and that those stupid voices in my head to impact me and influence my, my approach and my performance. Uh, but I did find out later on doing some, some deep inner work that actually the the thing about singing probably happened much, much earlier. In fact, when I was about three and my brother was a newborn, so I was the first born in the family. And I, I, up until my brother was born, I was the star of the show. <laughs> and, and then suddenly my brother came along and I had to share the limelight a bit. And I remember mucking about one day and pretending to sing or making too much noise. And my dad said to me, pipe down, Melanie, wake the baby. And it was just a simple little throwaway comment. But as a three-year-old, I obviously took that on to mean it's dangerous to express myself. And so I did some work with Nikki Owen, if you know her, and she took me back sort of to that memory and I kind of recreated the memory and it helped, really helped to shift the, the, uh, the, the stage fright and the fear and paranoia that I experienced. And I mean, it was so weird because it was, I was probably 48 by the time I finally started to let that go. So even though I'd sung professionally, I'd sung in a, in a 60s girl band tribute show and travelled around Australia and into, in Bali and Indonesia, and I had I, I sing in a band now, well, not now because no one's doing anything at the moment. <laughs> but, yeah, it took me a long, long time. So even when I was singing with the girl band and there was two other singers, I'd be paranoid that I was the weak link and if I looked at the audience and I saw them talking to each other or whatever I would imagine that they were saying oh she sounds terrible what's she doing in this group but they're probably saying I'm going to the bar what do you want to drink but I didn't know that so in my head all these thoughts were bombarding my brain and I'm only only you know I kept going and I smiled and I put on a good show but I only realized much later that because of all those voices in my head I wasn't making a real connection with the audience it was a bit showy and so actually then moving into public speaking really changed the way I look at, at being in front of an audience. It's less about putting on the show and just turning up as myself, 
which was one of the hardest things to do because I'd always, you know, it's always been about showtime. So, yeah, I've had to kind of change my approach in, in a lot of ways. Mm, I can see why that will have been so challenging because, like you say, sometimes it's that throwaway comment somebody makes, that piece of feedback, and then it snowballs and it becomes mm. part of your mindset and you you get that crippling self-doubt, perfectionism, and then you get to that point where you think, I, I have to guard myself. And so, like you say, that journey to having show to, to actually be vulnerable and open yourself up and say, mm. look, I'm going to come with Mel and, and this is me. And you, you get so much, it's so much more difficult to do, but you get so much more warmth from your audience when they can tell that you're not hiding behind anything and you're just being yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's taken me a long time to be able to do that. And I remember I, I joined Toastmasters back in probably 2009, I think. Uh, and that's a whole nother reason why I ended up there. But I remember doing my icebreaker speech and the guy who uh, evaluated it got up and he said, wow, wow, wow. That was the most amazing icebreaker speech I've ever seen in my life. That was absolutely spot on. And he raved about it. But actually what it was, was me, I'd written a script, I'd learned it, I'd rehearsed it, and I delivered it in a natural way. But it was still me delivering a script the way I used to do as an actor. And so it's taken a long time to kind of be okay about just letting it letting it go and being myself in front of an audience. Uh, quite vulnerable. Yeah, I'm very similar. When I first started speaking, I, I joined Toastmasters as well. And when I first started speaking, I used to write the speech like an article, paragraph, sentences. I used to craft it because I, I loved writing and that's what one of my degrees is in. And, and I used to really hone it down. And then I would memorize the whole script and then I was delivering the script, but it was cold and devoid of emotion because I was trying to remember the paragraphs rather than the yeah. presentation. And uh, it took me a long time to get comfortable enough to let go of the notes and gradually speak as, mm. as me. And occasionally I would stumble and I would get my words wrong and I would miss out a bit, but I came, became comfortable with the fact that I was delivering myself and not, not the script. Yeah. Uh, and so it's nice to to hear somebody that's been on a, a similar journey with that and that it is a journey. It's not something that you can do uh, so easily. Yeah. I and if you're want... a writer too, I think because you're so, you care so much about the words on the page and yeah. crafting them in a way, but as you will know, writing a speech is very different to normal writing because we don't speak the same way as, as we read or write. So we speak in much shorter sentences. If we were to write out the way we speak, you know, it would look grammatically incorrect. But it's interesting because every time someone comes to me with a speech that they've written, the first thing I go through is take out all the ands and, I, and you know, make those sentences more punchy. If they want to kind of write a script in a way, the way that they would say it, then they have to say it rather than write it. You've summarised my entire complex because as an English teacher and, and with, a, with a degree in English and somebody who's really focused on grammar, I, in writing that script and then trying to deliver it, I sounded like a robot because I was speaking in a way that completely didn't match the way I normally speak because yeah. I'd written it first. And I've gradually tried to bring the discrepancy between the way I speak and the way I write together. So now I sound better when I speak and now my writing's more conversational because I've adapted it yeah. from the way, the way I speak and it makes everything so much better. Now, we want to go on to the, the, the more red part of your journey. And, and for those that can't see... Mel is the, the absolute pinnacle of what good presentation should look like on a screen. She's central, she's well lit, the audio is great, it's all red, it's all crisp and clean. 
uh, if I oh brilliant perfect <laughs> you've got everything that I ever tell my clients to do about positioning yourself and, and lighting and everything so it's great now in terms of being red I know that this this idea for this brand actually emerged from you feeling quite blue absolutely you had. Take, take me through it because I'm fascinated by this I thought it was a brilliant story yeah so it was uh, 2018 and Life from the outside looked like it was brilliant. You know, business was going okay. I just bought and renovated a great new flat to live in. I had bought myself a little red convertible car, which was the first car actually that I'd bought for myself in, living in the UK. And I just, I just wasn't excited about anything. I couldn't get excited about driving my car. I wasn't excited about where I was living. And I was just feeling really miserable. I just, I totally lost my mojo. So it was really hard for me, given the type of job that I do in terms of getting out there and, and promoting myself and my services around public speaking and confidence and all of that. It was really hard for me to just even get out of my pajamas, to be honest. And I, I found that, I don't know what happens for you, but when I am feeling a bit out of sorts or a bit out of flow or a bit blurt and not happy, I, I do three things. So the first one is that I spend a lot of time on social media and I observe other people's lives and avoid my own, uh, which we all know is not ideal. The second thing I do is eat my body weight in junk food. <laughs> and the third thing is that I stop wearing my red lipstick. Now, for those people who know me, I am always wear red lipstick. I wear it when I feel good and I wear it when I want to feel good. And it's kind of part of my identity. So when I can't even be bothered getting to the point where I want to put on my lipstick, I, I figure something's not so great in my life. And as I said, I was wearing my pajamas a lot. So maybe lipstick <laughs> didn't really work with it anyway. But I found that I, I just couldn't shake it, which is really unusual because I'm generally very positive person and if I get a bit sad or whatever it, it it generally passes really quickly and I so I was starting to get a bit worried and I had a call scheduled with a friend of mine who uh, you will know Jeremy Nicholas from the PSA and I almost didn't have the conversation it was for a Tuesday morning and on the Monday evening I was gosh I was looking at where else I could move to what job I could uh, apply for just trying to get out of where I was at and I thought and I just couldn't stop crying I was such a miserable person and I thought I don't want to drag anyone else down and have a conversation with them I'll sit but I won't cancel it I'll see how I'll have it I'll sleep on it and I'll see how I feel in the morning decided to go ahead with the phone call and we spoke for two hours and it was brilliant and at the end of it Jem just said a couple of words which really impacted me in such a big way he said, Mel, I think the answer is really simple. He said, everyone associates you with the color red. It's vibrant and energetic and positive. And he said, so I think you just need to put on your red lipstick and go for a drive in your red car. Just stop being blue and be more red. Now, obviously, you wouldn't. if he knew that I was um, depressed in sort of the... Um, clinical uh, description of that or whatever you wouldn't say just stop being blue but he he the, what he said was perfect for me because at the end of the phone call those three words were ringing in my ears just be more red and then I started to think about well what does that really mean and I got all excited but within 24 hours I bought the domain name bemorered.com I'd started writing a book and I really started to explore well what would being more red mean 
And for me, it might be one thing and for someone else, it might be something else. But ultimately, it's about getting back to the core of who you are. So what's really, what do I really want? Who am I really? And I found that I'd been doing so many things in my business and in my life that I felt like I should do rather than maybe what I wanted to do. And I totally lost track of who I was and what I actually wanted. And I think I see, well, I see that in a lot of my clients and my friends. And, you know, when we allow ourselves be, to be so influenced by other people and society and whatever, it can get us really off track. And so then I started to explore the fact because red is going to be something different for everyone. I started to think about red as an acronym. And so then I thought, well, actually, you can apply this ac acronym in different areas of your life. So in one circumstance, I might want to be more radiant, entertaining and dazzling. And in another situation, I might want to be more resilient, enterprising and disciplined. And so I just started to play around and I came up with all of these different R-E-D words. And now I kind of I select a shade of red every morning. I think what shade of red? will I, you know, apply today? And what's important is to, you know, it's not about faking it or anything. It's it's about finding what's right for you and knowing that you have all these different elements of you and you can use them in different ways depending on the circumstances and the situations. So how might I want to want to show up in this situation? And it's it kind of goes back actually, I've realized to my acting background where you set an intention for a scene. And for each line that you deliver, there's an intention which gives it that energy and that drive and that um, dynamics. So it's really, I love that it's kind of come full circle for me and I'm now applying that in a different way in my life and, and with my clients. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and if I may indulge slightly and, and speak a little anecdotally, I can attest that this little program works because you spoke at an event in Yorkshire probably 18 months ago now, I would think. And you delivered this this beautiful presentation. You had those cards with the, the list of R, yeah. E and D verbs on. Yeah. And I remember that my D was determined. And at the time, I was looking for a slightly improved job position from where I was at that time. And I don't know if you remember what you said, but you said, look at the words on your card and you need to write down one action you're going to take in the next two weeks. And then I want you to report back to me. So you made us accountable for that. And I love accountability. So I went away and I did what I needed to do, which was I found out who had had the job role that I was applying for previously. And I went and I, I found them and I said, can I, can we have a conversation? And this, this was me being determined and daring more than I, I had been previously. So we sat down and we had that conversation. He said, look, are you applying for this job? I said, yeah, I'm going to apply for it. And he reached into a drawer and he pulled out the interview questions that he'd had <laughs> And all the notes he'd written and he said, I don't need those anymore. They're yours. And I went away and I read those notes and I made my own notes and I practiced for the interview and I got the job. So it works and it really does work. And I loved that. So <laughs> I love that. I love that that story, actually, because, yeah, you've used risky, you've used daring you know, and actually, um, you know, in enthusiastic. There's so many R.E.D. words in there that you could uh, incorporate. But I love that you actually were determined and that you got the job. Good for you. And the thing about it was I, I would have probably otherwise had I not heard that that presentation by you, I would have done what I'd always done, which is I'd have gone home. I'd have tried to preempt the questions. I'd have practiced my own thing. And I might have, I might have been okay, but 
I don't know if I would have got the job, but knowing that I could then go out, be daring and use somebody else's experience and knowledge to help me, I was then courageous enough to be able to go out and say, I need some help. And I asked the person and, and it was tough for me because I don't usually step out and, and ask for help because I'm quite proud, but I did and, and it helped. So it was absolutely amazing. So you've gone on with that and now you've produced something even further, which is the red effect, I understand. So yeah. take us a bit into that. Explain explain the thinking. Yeah. So I was I was I had this concept and I didn't know how to apply it. And in 2019, I was fundraising for uh, to build a school in Cambodia. So I did a little test and I had the red effect challenge and it was a five day challenge. And uh, we we sort of explained the red effect and each day we explored, a, a, you know, some different R, E and D words. And by the end of it, people came up with a shade of red and an action plan as to what they were going to do. And so that was kind of testing testing it out and I got some great feedback from that and then looked at how to explore that more and what would I, what I would do with it and I, I it's so weird because I keep having you know that I see this brand being so exciting and so uh, I can I can see so many things that I can do with it and imagine if if we all were to be more red how our lives would change and so I started to think about that but I got a bit stuck because and I've only realized now that I was quite burnt out and I, I didn't move forward with it. And I think part of it was because I can see how big it, it can become. And I just didn't at the time have the energy for that. So I was actually in Cambodia in January last year. And the uh, and then I spent a week in Bali afterwards. And, the, and it was I was away for four weeks. And on the last day in Bali, I actually it hit me that I felt relaxed and I couldn't remember the last time I'd felt relaxed and I thought there's something wrong with this picture I'm going home tomorrow I've been away for four weeks and I've only just realized that oh I feel relaxed and so I, I got back and of course I'd taken the month of January off so I got straight back into work but obviously COVID was happening around us and the day before lockdown I was feeling really overwhelmed and stressed again. And I went for a walk on the beach, which is where I make all my decisions. And I realized that I needed to take a step back and just uh, give myself some, some time because at the time, all my work coming up to the lockdown, all my work was either canceled or postponed. And so I thought, well, if any, you know, a lot of, a lot of people kind of pivoted and they got all their stuff online and they were out there hustling and whatever. And I thought, you know what, if, if any ever I'm going to take some time to take a step back from my business, now is a good time. Nobody's really interested. <laughs> so I, I did that and realized that actually having a break made me so much more creative. And I came up with this. I, I realized what I wanted to do with the red effect. So I've created the sort of the first stepping stone. And I'm looking at how I, I build this beyond this. But I created a program called The Red Effect. It's a five-week online program for women. And again, it kind of takes people through the idea of, of what being more red is. But we it, we go, we have a look in the in the initial uh, module. We look at uh, the three words reflect, explore, and decide. So reflect on where you're at, what's working, what's not working, you know, the, the things that you've achieved in your life, the things that you still like to achieve and that sort of thing. Then explore. And that's about starting to think about well, what could life 
look like for me if I was to really lean in and be more true to myself. And then the decide part obviously makes some decisions on what being more red and living a life um, in alignment might look like. And then over the, the five-week program, we we explore the words. And so it's it's, it's kind of a, a self-paced in during the week and then there's a uh, a weekly coaching group coaching call and that has been absolutely phenomenal i just when and i don't want to exclude men in this uh but when women get together in a group uh it's it's a really interesting dynamic and i'm loving the the transformations that are happening so i ran the ran the program for the first time in november last year and it's just started again yesterday so yeah, and I mean, two of the women in the group dyed their hair red, which was just so unexpected. But it was, one of them said, I've always wanted to have bright colored hair since I was a teenager and I've never felt brave enough to do it. And now I've just done it, you know? <laughs> and then towards the end of the program, another woman did, she's like, I'm, I'm really diving into the red effect here and being more red. So I'm absolutely thrilled with that. And I'm now looking at how I can expand it more and, and support more people. I'd, I'd love to help a million women to be more red. So to really um, reconnect or connect with who they are and then boldly and unapologetically express themselves with, with confidence. So that's the the plan. And I'm, I'm really looking at how I can do that and how I can create this big movement and get more people to be more red. But I don't want to exclude the men. So I'm thinking about how I can do that as well. I'm not quite red. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a thin <laughs> orange, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. It's a starting point. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question and I ask this of all guests that I, that I interview because what I'm discovering as a thread when I interview people is that the people that I'm interviewing came across a point in their lives where they had a choice or a decision to make. And they could have chosen one of two roads. And I, I remember Robert Frost's poem where he says, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less travelled by and that's made all the difference. I want to take you back to that conversation you had on the phone that ended, be a bit less blue, be more red. Because at that point, you had a decision to make. You could either have wallowed in self-pity and chosen to go down one road that would have led nowhere, or you could have do what you did and everything that's happened in your life since is a direct result of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's quite good for you because you've got a really defining moment. <laughs> My question for you is what do you think it was that made you decide to do what you've done rather than go the other way? I think I would, I, knew it was time. I knew something had to change. And I suppose as I've just kind of described, I didn't really jump in boots and all straight away. It's taken a while, but it's, I keep going back to that, that phrase and that pivotal point. And it's, it's guiding me now, you know, I, and there's been a couple of other things that have happened along the way, nudges from the universe, different things that people have said, about going within being true to myself and so that's all that's what what being more red is all about so it's these little reminders if i've ever gone off track then it's been another little nudge along the way so i knew something i knew i wanted something to change and at the time i did the best that i could at that time and i always say that to people you know 
we can't beat ourselves up for not doing what we we think we should do. <laughs> we just do the best that we can at the time. And at the time I did the best that I could and I, I've not dived in. And I know everyone I speak to about the whole Red Effect program and the idea of being more red, everyone gets it. And, you know, it's quite simple, but everyone is like, oh, I really get that. And gosh, it suits you. And gee, yes, go ahead with that. And there's been different points where either either I was scared or, as I mentioned before, probably more to the point I was burnt out and I just couldn't fathom trying to, to create something new. So I just trusted myself. And I'll tell you one of the other big things that, have, yeah, that ha really, I mean, it was quite a, a risky, <laughs> a daring thing to do is to just walk away from my business for several months. And I was grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. I, you know, my finances took a hit. I lived on my savings, but I'm grateful that I had that there and I had the opportunity to do that because I think that was the next big nudge that I needed and that and gave me the time and the space to think, okay, that makes complete sense. I know where I want to go with this now. And I've re-energized myself to be able to to take action on it. Mm. It's so uplifting and inspiring to to listen to to people like yourself because you just have this this unique character and resilience that when you come up against something rather than thinking I need to go back you think how do I find a way forward and and I I just I love that mentality about so many people I've been privileged to to speak to recently. Now I know that above all else you are a pitch and presentation specialist so it's all about helping people become more credible and authoritative when they are pitching their businesses. And I've got a copy of your book here, which I can see on the shelf behind you, <laughs> yeah. which is the authority guide to, to pitching your business. Now, I will say to the audience at this point that this is an immensely useful little book because I used it in the modeling of my own website. And so the content on my website is now modeled after Mel's recommendations in this book. And not only that, what I love about it is you actually invite people to get in touch with you and, and check things by. And I did that and I got a response and I got valuable feedback. So that was wonderful to, to go through. So I changed a lot as a, as a consequence of what I read in this book. But I'm very aware, even painfully aware, that at the moment there will be people who are struggling with their businesses, trying to get themselves out there and, and make a life for their, themselves and their families and, and provide and have that security. But there may well be people who are struggling in conveying accurately and credibly what their business does, what they're about, and why people should engage with them. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people make in pitching their business and what could they do to rectify that? I think one of the, the biggest mistakes is making it all about them rather than about the person that they're speaking to. You know, if someone says to you, what do you do? They don't care. They want to know what you can do for them. <laughs> so, uh, so if you're thinking about how you describe your business, think about it, put yourself in your, your audience's shoes or your customer's shoes and think about well, what's important to them. Quite often when people are pitching and, and this is, you know, even whether it's an elevator pitch, a, you know, one minute pitch or a big full on say, oh, we do this and we do that and we are fabulous and, and this is how we do this and these are all the awards we've won. And it's like nobody cares until you actually connect with them. So, you know, there that's what that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see. The other thing is about not actually feeling confident to say it, where people stumble around or they're not clear. It's quite challenging when someone's 
spoken for you know if, if, we, if we talk about an elevator elevator pitch and that 30 to 60 second pitch it when somebody's just been waffling or whatever and at the end of it you're like so so what is it that they do and um there's no kind of call to action and i think there's an argument people people talk about ditching the pitch and we don't need this one minute elevator pitch but i think once you've got that and you can clearly and confidently explain what it is that you do and who you do it for then you actually you don't need to deliver it as a pitch as such it's literally can be dropped into conversations so when you're comfortable about what you're talking about when you've practiced that so you the words aren't it's not the first time those words are coming out of your mouth when you're in front of a potential client or or someone who could refer you that's the other thing people uh worry about always selling to someone but actually it's not about that the pitch is is kind of creating curiosity and and getting people to to want to know more and your pitch should be so clear that at the end of it people will either say oh i need you or oh i know someone who needs you you know so or i'll keep that in mind so making it memorable is is quite key as well and if you have that fine what i call i, I talk about a conversational pitch which is that one line at the very short answer to the question what do you do and i think if that's clear that's kind of like your your value proposition you you can go underneath your signature in your email it can be on your website it can be in all your marketing materials it can be in your linkedin profile but it's just that one liner that actually helps people understand what it is that you do mm. i think that's that's excellent and and i have adapted an awful lot of what I do, including my LinkedIn profile with that one sentence conversational pitch. So it is of immense value. It's a great little book. And if I want, I want to refer to one thing in here because it has changed the way I think a lot and it will be useful for other people as well. This is to do with mindset and managing your mind, because I think like you've talked about, and, and I certainly like have experience of, and I'm sure a lot of other people do, they struggle with their mindset, their self-doubt, and, and often with comparison. And I think social media is really dangerous for this. And I, and I certainly, and my wife as well, are guilty of it. When we go on social media, we can look at other people's lives and say, oh, wow, they're wonderful. And it just, it doesn't do any good for you. Now, I have used this story a couple of times since, and I've referred to it from your book, because I have uh, found it incredibly useful for, for me in terms of my own mindset, but in, in people that I've coached as well. Do you remember your, your ice skating experience? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to just briefly refer to it. But what I like about this, because you, you mentioned if you change your limiting beliefs and focus on giving a great pitch, you're more likely to feel confident than if you allow your mind to run away with unhelpful thoughts. And, and I think that's so brilliant because so often when we're presenting we can approach it with a mindset of well that speaker's better than me they've just pitched and they're really good and I don't know if I can match that but and then you run away with that but what I've always tried to do and I found really useful now is approach it as a privilege rather than a pressure so I've got a chance to explain to these people what it is I can do and how I can help them uh, with their own lives and then I feel grateful rather than under pressure um, but this story of the ice skating and, and the comparison, can you remember the experience? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was my first experience, actually, I think, of, of really understanding um, the act as if uh, ex experience. And do you want me to share the story then? Please, because I, 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 <laughs> there's another question I want to ask you about it. Go for it. I'm, I'm entertained by this. So, 
Yeah, so I was about eight. I was learning to ice skate. I'd never even been on roller skates or anything. And, you know, in the ice skating rink where you've got the um, the edges and you so I found myself kind of dragging myself around the, the rink, not letting go of the sides because I was scared I would fall over. But then every so often there's an entryway, so a gap where you have to let go of the sides and get yourself to the next next wall. <laughs> and I was approaching that and a, a girl about two years older than me came onto the ice. She was, I remember exactly, she had like a long ponytail and she had a cute little ice skating outfit on and she had the white boots, you know, I had the clunky hired boots. And anyway, she just looked amazing. And I, I remember looking at her and going, oh, I want to be her. And she she glided onto the ice and she did a bit of a pirouette in the, in the middle and then glided off backwards uh, to the other side. And I looked at her and went, okay, I want to be her. And then I had this moment where I said to myself, well, you're never going to be like that if you don't let go of the sides. So what I do did is I, I let go of the sides, but I changed my, my physicality so that I, I stood up a bit taller and I, I, you know, I actually started to think of the word glide and I, uh, I was able to let go of the sides and act as if I could already skate. And by doing that, I certainly wasn't brilliant at it, but I let go of the sides and I started to get the hang of it because I acted as if I could already skate. And I've done that in a lot of different um, part, you know, times in my life where I have acted as, as if I can already do it. And it's scary, but actually it's amazing because it allows us to just get beyond our comfort zone. Mm. And, and it's, it's another statement of character because rather than allowing that girl's proficiency to deter you and take you off the ice and say, well, I'm never going to be as good as her. You used her as an inspiration. And actually, whilst not knowing how good an ice skater you'd ever become, you were far better than you would otherwise have been, if not for letting go of the side and being inspired by that, by that example. And, and I, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago when I was coaching somebody and I said, look, I don't know how good a public speaker you're ever going to become. I said, I can't, I can't say that. I don't know if you're going to be the next Barack Obama or whoever. I said, but what I can guarantee you is that if you use those kind of people as an inspiration rather than a deterrence, you will become far better as a speaker than you would otherwise be if you allowed those people to keep you out of the arena and say, well, I'm never going to be that good. But actually in letting go of the side and stepping in and looking at them and saying, right, what are they doing that I can adapt? You actually become far more competent than if you allow them to, to put you off. And that's where the comparison thing can become a real guide rather than something to to put you off. I just I found that such an inspiring. It, it's just nestled in there, but I found it <laughs> such an inspiring little story. It's uh, funny that you just you just mentioned Barack Obama, and I was working with a client, and uh, again, you know, trying to help her let go of her limiting beliefs. And I I said to her, who who do you admire as a public speaker? And she said, oh, I really really think Michelle Obama. You know, she's calm and poised and eloquent and and so we did an exercise where she was able to channel her inner Michelle Obama. And now she acts as if she already has that calm and poise and eloquence and totally transform, transformed the way she comes across. You know, she just, just uses that. She taps into that within herself um, and is able to step in, you know, in front of an audience and feel like she's <laughs> she's channeling her in a in a Michelle, which is really cool. I love all these little exercises because, gosh, our brains are, are so interesting, aren't they? We can we can trick them, <laughs> we can, yeah. we can, and, and they'll listen to anything that we tell tell them. <laughs> so feed it with positive stuff rather than the negative self talk. I say. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it always elevates you when you use that opportunity to, to be inspired by somebody. And, and like you say, there is, there is so much negativity around us in the world and has been for some time. But, but you, the great thing about it is you can control what you look at, what you read and what you listen to. You know, hit the unfollow button, close the app, turn your phone off if you have to. But sometimes we feel like there's no escaping it. But, but to an extent that there is, we can filter uh, what it is that we look at. And, and I try hard not to be too despondent or try not to be too affected by either things that I see or I, I avoid exposing myself to those types of, of information because I know what it will do to my to my mind. So I, I think sometimes the the people that are further along aren't necessarily the ones that are just naturally more gifted. They're just, they've got more grit and they're more savvy about which influences they choose to look at and follow and then which ones they choose to discard and and ignore and, and you strike me as somebody certainly that's really used those nudges and those little inspirations well throughout your career really at the right times just to elevate you further and further and then when you think about how many people's lives you'll have affected you, you've probably already lost count and and i think that yeah i couldn't i couldn't say because it's so weird when people you know they'll say to me oh i saw you know saw you speak you know, <laughs> 10 years ago or whatever I still remember that or it you know it impacted me and um even you just saying about the ice skating story and I it, you know it's just a story that I I share but I love the fact that actually yeah I I can inf you know have an impact a positive impact uh, what I worry about sometimes is is you know have I ever said anything in my life that's affected someone else the same way I was affected by that throwaway comment mm -hmm. of uh, of the person who heard me singing and yeah I having said that we can't you know we can't can't worry about that because things happen all the time and it, it is just um everybody has a choice about what we what we take on and what how we think about it and so we we have to take control of of that and make make a decision about how we how we use the information that's being thrown at us all the time certainly during lockdown I didn't uh, I had, you know, the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. From okay. So I used to play that and actually I still do, but right throughout that first lockdown, every single day I played it a couple of times before I got even out of bed and it totally transformed how I felt about the day. And so, yeah, I used that uh, a lot actually. Um, and I didn't, ha I didn't have a television either up until uh, about, I don't know, August last year or something when I was gifted a, a TV, but I didn't really, didn't really need a, a TV. And I think it is uh, sometimes tempting to just, you know, click on the, on the television and, and watch whatever's being, you know, aired. And we need to be conscious about the choices that we make and what we allow. I don't watch the news because I, I find it quite miserable and, and overwhelming. And, and the mo you know, if ever I, I turn onto the news and I think, oh, I really should listen to this update or whatever, then I get into a habit of watching it again. I'm like, no, no, just step away from that. I don't need that. I need to keep, keep focused on the positive. Sound advice indeed. I'm, I'm very grateful for, for this conversation. It's been such a joy just to, to listen and to be educated and, uh, and inspired by you know, your, your energy because you, you can see the passion radiating from you when you talk <laughs> about all this stuff. And you know, it's, it's not something you've created just, just for the sake of it. It's, it's part of you and your essence and who you are. And you know, that's such a, a, 
an inspiring thing to see in today's world that somebody has, has connected with that purpose and is just driving forward with it. And it's great to see. How can people get in touch with you, Mel? And uh, what can they get in touch about? Obviously, I know you're running the Red Effect now. Is it running again, et cetera, et cetera? What yeah. Can- okay. So, yes, I do um, pitch and presentation skills, training and coaching in organizations and with uh, individuals. I have started something called Vava Zoom, power up your online presence. So that's a one-to-one coaching session with me to help you come across well online because now we're all online. Uh, it's something that is quite crucial. And I think, you know, we're all stuck in this little box basically. And it, it sh- people are, sometimes aren't aware of how they're coming across and what that the message is being what message is being communicated through the screen based on how they're sitting how you know where they're uh, what the background's doing all of those sorts of things and one of the big things obviously is looking into the camera which a lot of people are not comfortable to do and that takes some practice but so i've got yeah i've got one one to one vava zoom coaching sessions and obviously the red effect which uh, i'll be uh, I need to because we just started a new program yesterday. But I'll I'll create I'll be organising a um, a waiting list for for that. So uh, yes, but my website is probably the easiest way to get in touch. It's melsherwood.com or any social social media channel. I am melsherwood. Uh, I am Mel Sherwood. <laughs> so you'll find me on on most most of the um, major kind of social media platforms as well. Wonderful. And, and I know that so many people will be looking for an improvement to their online presence and their online communication in, in this time. And, and people will only have the chance to listen to this, but I can tell you from the last hour, just watching how immaculately this whole interview is being conducted in a visual fashion. If you want online training about how to look better on camera, I can't think of anyone better. Uh, than oh. what I've just seen. So I've just uh, thought of I, something actually. Um, I've got a, a, a giveaway. If anyone wants some video tips, go to melsherwood.com forward slash video tips and you can uh, access some, um, it's probably two pages, I think, of, of video tips on how to uh, improve the way you come across. Wonderful. Well, I will put that into the, the show notes in the description as well so that for ease of access so people can get to it. But it only remains for me to thank you sincerely for, for coming this uh, this morning, as it has been this morning. People might be listening in the evening, who knows? <laughs> but uh, it's been such a joy and, and thank you for giving up your time and everything that you've shared. And I, I for one, have been inspired. Um, so thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm always inspired by you, so I was absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website, simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources, or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.